Hello, and welcome back to Just Hands. I don't know how long it's been. I don't think it's been too long, but it hasn't been too recently since we did an episode. Uh, but I'm joined here by who is becoming and will continue to be, I think, our most regular guest, maybe even a co-host, we could call him at this point, the fantastic James B. James, how you doing? I'm doing great. Um, it's a brave new world out there. We got a new main event champion. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to talk some more poker. I know the it's like uh, the poker year kind of just ends at the main event. Now we have a new year, a new build up. Who's going to take the crown next year? I think it's going to be you. Uh, we'll see. I'm going to need to work on my tournament game some and uh, potentially find some stakers. I can point you to some stakers. I don't know if I can help you with your tournament game. <laughs> you uh, you uh, went, made a deep run in a bracelet event, right? Yeah. It depends on how you define deep, but I got to the final two tables of the online bracelet event. I actually got into the top 2% of the field in a few events, although I did not make any final tables or have any huge paydays, but just about broke even, which is pretty solid for a WSOP. You know, let's see, keep fighting, trying to get through to that big score. I'm still looking forward to that. We'll see if I ever get it. Yeah, uh, I think it's likely, but going to have to keep playing. Yeah, just keep getting strung along. So if you want to learn how to, you know, make, I don't know, like seven to ten times your buy-in, you're at the right place. Got a lot of those. All right. Today we're going to talk about some cash because who wants to hear about more tournaments? Uh, this hand took place, or at least was submitted yesterday, from the Talking Stick Resort in Scottsdale, Arizona. Maybe it's Scottsdale. I don't know. Saturday afternoon, around 1.30 p.m. So I guess we can assume this was probably about six days ago. The table was eight-handed uh, when Hero sits down, and then nine-handed when this hand took place. This casino has a pretty large poker room, 50-plus tables, and is usually full on the nights and weekends when the level of skill lowers with a flood of recreational players. Sounds juicy. Yeah. So it's a 2-3 spread limit. I think all their games are spread limit. Um, this one is a $300 max bet. I think their biggest game is a 2-5 with a $500 max bet. The max bet is not going to come into play in this hand, I don't think. Stacks, which... Spoiler alert, the main villain is going to have an effective stack of $325. We'll get to that in a second. But James, you have a lot of experience playing in these spread limit games. Any uh, any general advice before we move on? I guess the main thing is if you're really deep, you have to be aware of where the leverage points are. Um, you're not going to be able to leverage people very effectively on the river, so... Um, just theoretically, you should have much fewer bluffing candidates if you can only bet half pot on the river versus full pot or over bet river. Yeah, I feel like in the way that the math kind of rewards the player who can get all in first, the math probably rewards the person who puts in the first max bet in a spread limit game. Something to investigate. Yeah, Anyways, as we said... It's not going to be a factor here. The button in this hand was a 30-ish year old tag that I recently river bluff shoved. Ah, look at that. He folded. I showed the bluff. Never did that. 
for a decent pot. I maybe not never, but like I just I don't see much of an upside to doing that. Basically, the logic is you are going to have more bluffs than value, and if your opponents are putting you more on bluffs, then they're probably going to be playing better against you. Yeah, and definitely. Yeah, I, I would say like if you really struggle to find your bluffing candidates, then maybe there's some small argument for showing showing the occasional bluff because it's going to be really rare that you're bluffing. But yeah, overall, just don't do it. Yeah, I mean, like, if you're a very value-heavy player who almost never bluffs, then maybe it's worthwhile. But in the one sample that I have of you, you just bluffed out of the river. So it doesn't <laughs> seem like you're that value-heavy. Um, and so maybe don't do that. Anyways... Main villain in this hand, uh, Hero does not have history with, but looks to be in his late 20s. Bought him for the table max of $300. Uh, we'd only been playing together for about 30 minutes when this hand occurred, and he had only played a few hands, one of which he took down without showdown. As for myself, I'm a mid-30s aggressive player. All right, there we go. I try to switch gears between loose and tight play based on the table makeup and how I think the other players are viewing me. And I think that is the way to play. At this point in the session, I think the table thinks I'm a lot looser than I'm playing, given the showing of the recent bluff shove. All right. Hero was up to around $450. I think there might be a spoil, spoiler buried in there. The main villain has the effective stack of $325. All right. Action folded to the main villain in the cutoff, who raised to $10. This was the table standard raise at this point. The button, who is the victim of Hero's bluff shove, flatted. Hero is in the small blind and found aces. Given my perceived table image, I considered raising larger than usual to something like 60, but opted to play this similar to the rest of my raising range and made it 40. James, what do you, how do you feel about this sizing? It strikes me as a little bit small. I I think with 100 big mind stacks, we can, I like going about four to four and a half X out of position. And then with the caller, I think we could go maybe a little bit bigger to, um, to 50 or something. I guess that said, we do have aces. So like if we do an action on our aces, we could size down and... Uh, just be a little bit exploitative. Um, another thing I will say is, like, as stacks get deeper, we obviously, or maybe not obviously, but we want to be going to a larger size with our three bets because um, we don't want to give really nice implied odds to our opponents. Yeah, I think something to realize is that typically our biggest advantage is going to be on the current street with our like most aggressive range. And this is sort of like very foundational in the sense that the reason you're putting in the raise in the first place is because your advantage is now. And if you're calling, it's because, you know, it, it might be in, in a more literal sense, it's because it's your highest CV play, but a lot of times it's your high CV play because you want to be able to see more information, 
before putting in a lot of money. You think that there's a chance that your greatest advantage is actually going to come later. There's other reasons, obviously, you'd want to call, but that's often a reason to call and not to raise. So here, obviously, with aces, your biggest advantage is right now, pre-flop, you for sure 100% have the best hand right now, and you for sure are, are like 95-plus percent of the time you're not going to have the, you're not going to have that same kind of confidence on the flop. You're not going to have the best possible hand, which is okay. But I think this explains to a degree why we want to get more money in now when our advantage is highest with our kind of like polarized raising range. I mean, if we have a more merge strategy from the small blind, then maybe there's different things that are at play. But I personally use a more pulled strategy from the small blind. And so with that range, I feel like my biggest advantage is right now pre-flop. I typically want to put in a little bit more money than uh, like three times the open plus one call. So I actually like 60. I think like 50 or 60 is a good range. And given your image, given the fact that button is going to have like, you know, sort of like a revenge call opportunity, I do like going to 16. So I think that you considered that was very strong. And I think you actually maybe should have gone through with that. And yeah, I think you can take advantage of the fact that you only have 30 minutes of history with the main villain and use a sizing that maybe is different than like what your standard has been at the table. So don't worry about like the rest of your raising range so much. Also, I think like this is just a good size for your raising range. I think. Where was the original open from? Was it hijack? Cut off. Oh yeah. I like going a little bit bigger even more because it's a great like squeeze formation. Um, this is where you're going to have the widest opens and call than from like anywhere else on the table. Yeah, definitely. All right. Uh, so we, we raised a 40 uh, blinds fold or big blind folds and both the cutoff and button called. And this is a good event when you have aces but kind of only when you have aces. And so this is part of why I think 60 is maybe best. Um, I think exploitatively, like we can size to 60 with aces and probably get more calls than usual. But our range as a whole probably wants to size up um, just because most of your hands prefer to actually get folds than calls preflop. Aces, maybe kings, are probably the only hands that have higher EV when your opponent's call them when they fold so yeah uh, uh yeah another another thing i want to mention too is um with these low stakes games i don't know what the rake structure is here but like in my games it's 20 percent up to seven dollars and um like some of that's for the high hand but um it's 20 percent is substantial yeah it's substantial rake so um, that's not taken out if it's taken down before the flop. So um, I've been going a little bit bigger pre-flop just to kind of um, avoid having to pay that rake and um, try and take some more pots down uncontested. So just something else to mention with uh, the benefits of going larger. Yeah, if you can avoid that that zone of like less, like right up to the point where max rake is taken, as far as like hands going post flop, yeah, um, that's great. So I guess in like a seven dollars up to twenty percent game, that's going to be like a pot of fifty, basically. So if we can see most flops with a pot larger than fifty, 
we're going to be paying less rake compared to like the size of the pots we're playing than if we play a lot of pots that uh, go to the flop between like 30 and 50. All right. Yeah, both players called, based on the action, I figured cutoffs range to still be somewhat wide, including most combos of Broadway cards, all pairs up to jacks, suited connectors. All right. Given oh, Hero's knowledge of the button's play, his hands were more likely to consist of small pairs and suited aces, along with some ace-jack, ace-queen, king-queen, king-jack. So it sounds like button is a little bit tighter. Any thoughts on those ranges? Yeah, they seem about right. Um, I just wanted to mention that cutoff will have some suited aces, too. Yeah, definitely. I think, if anything, I would expect Button to be just a little bit wider. But I think those ranges sound about right to me. Flop came, king of spades, five of spades, queen of hearts. Hero chooses to bet $75 into the approximately $120 pot. Do you like betting here? Yeah, I I definitely think you should be betting. We have a lot of value targets. The sizing strikes me as a little big. I think we want like pocket pairs below a king to feel comfortable calling one street because um, they're drawing fairly thin against us. And I think that's uh, those are some of the hands we should be targeting in addition to king x. So I think there is a there's a reasonable case for just check shoving here. Basically, the hands we're targeting for value, or the hands we're hoping will call, often just bet, um, with the exception being the queen x, which may or may not call, to be honest, in a three-bet pot three ways. Wait, it was... Sorry, what was the flop again? King, queen, five. Oh. King of spades, five of spades, queen of hearts. Oh, sorry. Um, I don't I don't think... I think it's a lot less likely we'll be called by those pocket pairs again. I thought it was king with two low cards. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I agree. I think, like, jacks through sixes are very unlikely to call. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think... To me, the big question is, are these players likely to bet King X? They really probably shouldn't, but they do a lot. Where they basically, like, they look at this board that's a little scary, and if you're holding King Jack, King 10, possibly Ace King. I mean, Ace King is, like, very likely to bet and probably should bet. So you can't fault can't fault that, but like King Jack, King Ten, those are hands that uh, that probably bet more often than they should. Is my hunch. You know, our raise, our bet pre-flop was like very strong and very pulled, such that like against our range at least, or maybe it's not so pulled, but against our range, probably these hands are not strong enough to bet, and they're not actually denying very much equity at all. It's not like we're going to fold spades or even like ace five of hearts or anything. So in that sense, I think those hands should check, but if they don't, then I think we have a very clear check shove. And the check shove, like it might look very strong, and I think it probably does, 
but I actually don't think there's as much value in letting our opponents see additional cards as you might think. Like, I know it's really hard to like release the idea that you might not get to just go like bet, bet, bet and get King Jack to just call down. But the truth is there's not so many like super clean runouts. Like you're, you're probably not going to continue betting on like a Jack, a 10 for sure. I think a King, a queen, probably not a spade, um, maybe not a nine. And so like, I think as a whole, people need to not be so attached with the idea of I'm just going to, you know, I have top pair beat, so I'm just going to bet three times, lead my opponent along slowly, and stack them on the river, and they're just going to call off. One, I mean, those hands can fold eventually because the strategy for the most part is pretty obvious. But also, like, there's just so many runouts where we don't get to do that where Again, your biggest advantage with aces is basically now. I mean, if a five comes, all right, that's great. If an ace comes, obviously that's great. If a spade comes, that's pretty good. Although there's a lot of spades that, you know, are going to stack you at a high frequency, like queen X of spades, you know, other combo draws and such. So I, I think we can induce so many bets from the hands that call us that we just do well to use our max leverage now in the flop where our advantage is greatest with a very, very high equity hand um, and hope to get called by worse and understand that if we get hands to fold that still have reasonable equity, you know, somewhere between like 20 and 35%, that's fine. Yeah, I, w- I really like that point too, is that having King Jack fold, like, well, it's not ideal, is not the worst thing in the world because, yeah, it does have whatever five outs against us. Something I will say is against more savvy opponents, I'm not sure I would advise checking this board just because if we have any bluffs, we would probably be following through on this board a lot. Um, It Definitely, we definitely have advantage on this board, although um, our opponents can have probably do it more king queen. I, you know, I, it strikes me as a little bit suspicious when we, when we check a board that's so advantageous for our range, um, when we could probably do a lot of bluffing on this board as well. Well, why not play bluffs? Well, let me ask you two questions. One, what are our bluffs? And two, why not play them through a check raise? I guess it, it depends on how the three betting range is constructed. Let's say let's say we had a more polarized range where it's like we have aces, kings, queens, jacks, tens, like ace, king, semi-ace, queen, and then a lot of like sort of wheel ace type hands or some pseudo connectors. It's like ace five through ace two kind of hands, six five. Six, seven, uh, seven, eight suited, some of those. Are we just going to come out firing with like ace four of diamonds? Yeah, that's a good point, I suppose. I guess in a multi way pot, there's, we probably won't be bluffing quite as frequently. I mean, I guess I'm thinking about more like a heads up scenario where it comes out like king, queen, high. 
And yeah, I think the check there can look a lot like top set, whereas um, we might want to continue um, betting if we had like ace jack suited or something like that. Yeah, I guess like I think it's a reasonable strategy to just bet big and then shove with some of our like 5x as a bluff. But I think we have a lot of give ups. We also have a lot of hands that are like kind of clear, just check and hope hands like ace, queen, jacks, tens. And so I think there is temptation for king x to bet. And I agree that a savvier opponent is a worse opponent to take this line against because that opponent is less likely to bite with like, that opponent is just less likely to bet into a very strong range, even if that range is incentivized to check a good amount. Like, I think this, this situation probably just like checks through on the flop a good amount or is supposed to. And then there's a lot of betting like from small blind on blank turns. But yeah, I think one, I just think that players will bite, bite on it. Like they're not just going to check spades. They're not just going to check back 10. They're not just going to check King Jack, King 10. Yeah. It's interesting because if they, if they were thinking on a, a little bit of a higher level, they might realize that with King Jack, King 10, Jack 10, they're kind of blocking a lot of the hands that would be checking and giving up there. Also, like, there are some hands that probably play... Keep in mind, we're out of position. So it's like, we will get it in bad sometimes here, but we probably do better getting it in on the flop against those hands than waiting. So, like, you could imagine we're up against, like, king, queen, or something. And the runout is, like, spade, spade, or jack, ten, or ace, five. You know, like, we're going to win more money against king, queen on those runouts, getting it in on the flop. And we're probably losing the max to king, queen on any favorable runout for king, queen, other than, like, a king or a queen on the turn. What about... Um, we might find a fold. What about if spades come? Yeah, like, if if the turn comes as spade, then probably we check. King-queen maybe bets, maybe doesn't. And then if the river is a fourth spade, king-queen is probably just not putting any more money in this pot. Yeah, that's a good point. So, like, here's how I would put it. Your hand can improve but it doesn't actually improve in ways that help you get value. Like you have a backdoor straight draw that's not going to get you any value. You have a backdoor flush draw that's not going to get you much value. And you can improve to like a set of aces. But that is obvious. It's obvious that that improves your range significantly. And it's going to make it a lot harder to get value from like king, jack, king, 10 type hands. And so we actually, if we can just get the money in now, we don't risk like missing out on value when those runouts do come. Um, I know, I know we keep, we're talking a lot about this decision, but another thing I wanted to bring up too is when you, when we continue on this flop, I think our opponents will optimize against the kind of hand that we have, where they'll probably be 
um, raising us with a lot of their king queens and then polarizing with um, some of their combo draws. And um, that doesn't really put our hand in a great spot if they're polarizing correctly against the exact hand we have. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really important point. Like, here's what I'll say about it. Your range, I think people will continue versus a bet with hands that lose to hands like kings, queens, aces, ace, king, because they realize you might be bluffing. But the hand, like when you bet in this board, they're going to assume that the most likely holdings you have are hands exactly like aces, ace, king, set of queens, set of kings. And so they might not play great against that range by like putting in a little bit too much money through calling, but they're still, you're not going to like fool them. You can actually fool them. I think into making like a pretty big mistake by checking. Uh, and, and that's mostly why I like it. All right. What do they do facing our, facing our C bet? Oh, they just both fold. <laughs> All right, good episode. See you guys next week. <laughs> so uh, Hero writes, while I should still be ahead, this board is likely to have hit one of my opponent's ranges, and at this point I'm betting purely for value. With the Ace of Spades in my hand, I'm not afraid of many turn cards, as my opponents most likely aren't drawing to an unknown flush. I'm value targeting Ace, Queen, King, Jack, King, 10, Queen, Jack, Jack, 10, as well as any lower flush or gutshot draws. Yeah, so like... I think this type of logic can get us into trouble where it's like, let me give you the case for betting. And it's like, yeah, betting makes money. You have aces, but we need to actually, we need to compare our various options. And so, you know, obviously like you're just writing a hand into a podcast. Like I don't expect you to like give me the full analysis. Like here's all the things that like could happen when I check race. Here's all the things that happen when I bet. You know, that's our job, but I do think this is a very common like type of thought pattern. Like, here's the thing I normally do. Here's why I do it, and that can get you into ruts where you don't actually consider the other options because you're just thinking about your default and why it's good. And it's true that it's good, but your hand is just good, and that's why all your options are good. Yeah, like we have aces. Like betting will be good, but it might not be because. It's better than our other options. It's because we have aces. I, I will say that like part of what I do like a lot about betting is that we get folds from hands that don't really make mistakes against us and can do very well against us on certain runouts. Like this is something that James and I have been talking a lot about, but getting a hand like sixes, sevens, eights, nines, tens, even jacks to fold or a hand like Jack nine, 10, nine to fold is actually pretty good for us since these hands, they're just not likely to make very many mistakes against our hand. If sixes spikes a set on the turn, uh, it's going to probably stack us. And if sixes doesn't spike a set on the turn and we check and like it checks through and then we bet like six is just going to fold. So we do deny the, we get some hands to fold that have like plus EV lines facing a check. But I think with two opponents in the pot, that's 
it's both worse and not as bad because like the main thing is that I just think their combined bet frequency is higher. Also our hand, like our hand has a pretty, some good backup plans. Like it's really hard for our opponent to just like turn us dead with a hand that would have not bet the flop that we're going to have two outs to an ace most likely. And a lot of those set outs are going to be spades. And so I think there's less of a like urgency to get these hands to fold, but that it is a big value of betting, which I think should not be understated. Yeah, definitely. God, we can't keep doing this podcast, man. It's just getting, <laughs> isn't it getting too good? <laughs> it's uh, been, uh, I think 40 minutes on the flop decision. It's too much we, should set up a, we should set up a Patreon or something. You yeah. guys should start giving me some money. Uh, <laughs> some of you already do, but I want more. Anyways, okay. Hero goes on. The cutoff calls and the button folds. This brings the pot to $270 and the villain stacked to 215 When the cutoff calls, I think the vast majority of the time, his holding is in the value target range I've defined. Occasionally, this may be a slow play this may be a slow play of sets or two pair, but given the straight and flush draws this board brings, I would expect most players to raise with two pair better. And I think that's a pretty good read. And part of the reason is that your range is just, I mean, two pair is basically like king-queen. With king-queen, king-queen is doing very well against your range and can just get like a lot of calls. So I agree that you're going to get raised by two pair most of the time on the flop, which is, by the way, a reason to check check shove because you already are getting it in versus king queen on the flop through bet. So we don't need to worry about that. Mm -hmm. Or at least most of the time you are. Okay. The turn is the three of diamonds with this blank. I wanted to continue to get value from ace queen king, Jack king 10 while sizing in a way that could keep the draws in. So I fired a hundred dollars into the $270 pot. We don't like this here at just hands. Yeah, this is the thing. This is like, uh, this is the exact like sort of attachment to stacking top pair that I was talking about, where it's like, you bet 75 on the, on the flop, which is like a fine sizing. But then instead of just shoving the turn, when you have like less than one SPR, you bet 100 because you really want to make sure that these hands call you. And then you, you want to like have a like ridiculously small sizing relative to the size of the pot on the river so that they just have to call. And the problem is that you just, you let hands realize equity and play very well against you. Like it's the same story as pre-flopping on the flop. Like this is, this is a great run out, like a great turn card for you. Your advantage is still very high with aces. And you just, you actually don't benefit that much from letting draws just call a hundred dollars with 125 back because they're going to stack you and because they're going to stack you, they're getting the right price. Obviously like King X has very poor equity against you at this point. And if they're just going to call off, that's good for you. But these hands, if they're calling a hundred, they probably call 225 because they have to see you like that the 125 is coming. And the board's not going to get better for those hands in a way that favors you. So, yeah, I would just, I would just shove. Yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure what else to really say about this, but um, 
You, yeah, you need to be all in on this turn. Um, I, you know, if, if we bet this size, it doesn't look like we can really have any bluffs at all. And, um, you know, maybe like our opponent makes a small like math mistake when they have like a flush draw and a straight draw, like, you know, Jack and Jack nine suited or something spades. And they call us, um, but I don't think I don't think they really are. Um, that's probably a fine call, actually. Giving, yeah, they're getting like three point seven to one. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, we just need to be all in. There's less than a pot size bet left. Um, so let me put it like this: I think there's you could, there can be a fear that. So it is, I'm not going to say it's not possible that betting 100 is the highest EV line. Like if King Jack and these sort of like one pair hands just always call 100 and then 125 on the river, but would have folded to an all-in, then sure, we make more money by betting small. But the truth is like, it could be the opposite. It could be that if you go all-in, these hands say like, well, there's bluffs and I just call. Where when you bet 125 or 100, they're just like, well, you know, I'm basically calling up for my whole stack. If I'm not going to call turn and river, I might as well just fold now and get you get the fold. It could be the opposite. And so we, I think we should just do like, we should go more with like our incentives and our incentive is to get all the money in now because this board's not getting better for us or for the hands that like we want to value target. And if we can get draws to fold versus make a plus EV $100 call, that's good. Yeah, he also maybe puts us on some kind of flush draw. Like we just showed that we were bluffing on the river before. Let's let's put some question um, in his mind and go all in. And you know, maybe we do get him hooked up by King Jack. Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily more likely that King Jack or King Ten are gonna call the smaller size, and then they get more information on the river. You know that. They might decide to fold the river if their jack or 10 doesn't come, and then we get stacked either way. Yeah, like a spade comes, and we don't know if we want to bet, and then we just, maybe we check. Yeah, and, and check back. Yeah, Or we just shove, and they decide, like, all right, ace-queen's just not good, where they might have got might have heroed on the turn. Mm-hmm. Also, like, draws, you know, people like to gamble. You, you might just get called by a draw anyway um, if you shove. You never know. Like Queen X of Spades probably isn't folding. Yeah. That's at least two combos, maybe three. Yeah. All right. So you know where our heads are at here. But the hand does get pretty interesting from this point. So Villain took his time and at one point appeared to prep his chips for a shove. But then after a few minutes, elected to call. <laughs> after a few minutes? Yeah, God, man. And three. People just love hundreds of dollars. All right. Sorry about that. And then after a few minutes, I did the call. I wasn't really sure if I should read into the chip action or not. I think some players will do that as an act, and some players will do it subconsciously not realizing it. Either way, I didn't have the history with this opponent to know which was more likely, so I tried to dismiss it from my decision-making. Yeah, so... I've definitely seen it be an act before, but I've also seen it genuine before i think genuine is maybe 
slightly more likely from your average recreational player, but yeah, it could definitely be either. Well, here's, here's my question. Like what is the hand? <laughs> it's, it's a weird spot. Well, let me, let me first say, I don't think you should try and dismiss it from your decision-making just because you don't know exactly what it is. I think this weights things in a certain way that we can kind of tease out. I mean, it's not going to affect your river decision that much <laughs> because you have 125 back in a pot of a 470 with an overpair. But yeah, so I, I think this, if it's an act, then it's meant to make the hand look strong. It's meant to dissuade you from betting the river, which makes it very likely that it's not a draw and that it's a hand like a king maybe a queen. If it is genuine, then it could be more likely to be a draw. Or it could be a hand that like thought about drawing for value and didn't. I don't know exactly what that hand would be. I mean, actually, I do know how the hand ends. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll just spoil it. The guy has king-queen. So what do you think that's all about? I think he was trying to trap us. So is, is it like a reverse tell? Yeah. I, well, I think... The trap us for what? For $125? Yeah, our last uh, 125 that we might fold for. So he's, I guess it's like I... Maybe he's he putting us... Maybe he would get away on a spade. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I don't... I'm not really sure. Um, yeah. Maybe he thought he didn't want to give us any chance of folding our aces or ace king. So maybe every maybe everything in his range is possible to do this. Like, I think there are other times where maybe we get more information from this kind of thing. But yeah, I still think the most likely thing is that he wants you to dissuade you from putting your money on the river. But with king queen, that does, doesn't really make sense. But people just are scared. I don't know. I, I've seen people do. When people start acting more ostentatiously um, in a way that is a little weak, I feel like this, um, like the ending up just calling, like, I, I guess I guess it looked like we were going to shove. But anyway, I'll, I'll just say like ostentatious behavior is usually stronger. So this could maybe fall into that category. Yeah, I agree with that. Did we uh, bet on the river? <laughs> well, the river was really, really shitty for us. <laughs> it's the queen of spades. So final board, uh, king of spades, five of spades, queen of hearts, three of diamonds, queen of spades. So is there any reason not to shove ourselves? I don't think so. I think a lot of queens should have folded the turn. He could still, villain could still ace king and king jack. And um, yeah, I think we're still going to get looked up by those hands. And um, I think we do better like trying to get value from those hands than like bluff catching. Yeah, I agree. There's just not really bluffs to catch other than jack 10. And those probably don't bluff anyway. Yeah, I think we're like good more than fifty percent of the time when called. If we, I think, the river, but it might I be. Think, 
this is one of these weird spots where it's like the decision is it's really i think in my mind between shove and check fold and i just think check fold is too uncomfortable it's not i actually think check fold might be best i think your opponent's range might be more hands that beat you than hands it would call the queen of spades yeah but i think i mean i think clearly given that we won't have a super comfortable check fold we should just shove and i i think it's also relatively close that there might be more king x than spades and queen x or boats or stuff but yeah if there were uh if there were more money behind then i think you might want to just check fold anyways we shove and we get snapped by the Almost the nuts, king queen, for riverful house. Yeah, I think this is an example of like, this was a weird hand because your opponent took a weird line, and you got a bad river card with like 0.25 SPR, and like stuck it in and got snapped by like the nuts. But I actually think that the the mistakes in this hand came on earlier streets where probably things felt a lot clearer. And that's, I think, a big part of the value of writing in, um, is that sometimes these these bad runouts like trigger, like, well, let me make sure I did this right. And it turns out like, no, you didn't. But the thing you thought you might have been wrong, like, was fine. I, I don't know exactly what, uh, what hero was was thinking here in terms of like why choose this hand specifically to write in hero writes i feel like i played the hand pretty well with the exception of the river there are just so few hands i'm beating that he could call with and my shove makes it much easier for him to get full value from the hands that beat me and folding out the missed straights my shove makes it so much easier for him to get full value from the hands that beat me and folding out this, the missed straights so i guess i guess we're second guessing here that like we should have allowed our opponent to bluff no, I think I think he's suggesting that maybe he can fold facing a bet on the river. Like a uh, hero can fold facing a bet on the river. Yeah, so hero writes, I think this river is much better played as a check call or even check fold. Do I have any sort of read that he likes his hand? Well, I don't agree with the line my opponent took by flat calling the flop and turn. It's probably the only way he gets double for me. I don't think check call is really an option because I just don't think it's possible for there to be more bluffs for this size than there are like worse hands that would call you. So I think if anything, the question is whether we should be check folding here. Uh, and I don't, I think given like the turn action, the answer is probably no, we should just shove. So I like the river. Um, here writes, well, I don't agree with the line my opponent took by flat calling the flop and turn. It's probably the only way he gets a full double from me. Uh, I don't, I don't know. Are we really going to fold to a raise on the flop or on the turn? I hope not, <laughs> but maybe, maybe this guy's just a nit. He's not a, I don't know. I'm, I'm confused. So here writes, he, he just wants to know if his sizing or thought processing through was way off base. Obviously, Hero is too quick to remove King Queen from his player's range when he didn't have when he didn't raise the flop return. But is that line of thinking also wrong against the general low six crowd? Yeah, I mean, I think we've established in what ways the sizing and thought process leading to the river was way off base. 
I don't think that actually how your opponent plays king-queen is going to be too consequential to you here um, because you just have a hand with, given the flop SPR, you just kind of are going to get it in a lot. And you're going to lose to king-queen when your opponent has that. And that's okay because you're, you're maximizing by getting value from worse and denying the equity of other hands. And also, I think you just play better against king-queen by just getting it in on the flop. So we've been a little hard on you here. I don't know, something about something about you writing it in made, made me feel like you were going to be a good sport and you, you were really looking for our full thoughts, and criticism. It's a little early for both of us, so I guess we're just maybe cranky. <laughs> I don't know exactly what it is, but yeah, I, uh, I really appreciate you writing in the hand and I hope that you found this commentary to be valuable. Uh, so thank you guys for tuning in. James, thank you for joining me. Do you have any final thoughts that you want to leave us with? Yeah. Yeah. I want to say like, yeah, I'm sorry if, if I was a little bit hypercritical, but um, you know, most of the players who consistently lose their money at the casino, like, they aren't spending the time to like write down their hands afterwards and try and analyze them strategically and look for mistakes that they may have made. So I think this is a really important part of the process. And, um, you know, you're on, you're trying to think about your decisions and that'll lead you on a road where you're going to get a lot better. Um, Yeah. And I, I don't even necessarily feel comfortable saying that this player is not winning in these games. I think yeah, the fact yeah. that he's, you're doing a lot of things right in like ranging your opponents well, I think, understanding when your hand is strong and when it's not. But I think you've fallen into a lot of like very common low stakes traps that have to do with sizing and have to do with like the mentality that the way I win at poker is to make a hand that stacks top pair and to slowly reel along top pair and stack it. Uh, I actually think that's like very, very common, um, that thought process. And it's something to shake yourself of and start thinking more holistically about your range, your opponent's range, the value of actually getting folds, and what is actually the best time to put in a lot of money and try and stack your opponent. It's not always just like the river for a very small bet relative to the size of the pot. Cool. All right, thanks again uh, for writing in. James, thank you again for joining me, and we'll see you guys again. Uh, shortly.